So I've just been really excited to come. I just sense God's heart for your church all just like as I was preparing for this word. And so it is truly such an honor to be here. Um, thank you, Jacob and Krista, for leading worship. I just I forgot I was here. I, I just felt like I was home again. So um, thank you guys for opening up this space. Um, so yeah, a little context for you guys. Um, I've been married now for seven and a half years with my husband, Daniel, and we have a beautiful toddler girl. She's one and a half. Her name is Maya. Um, I was born and raised in the Bay Area Woo-hoo! Um, in Dublin, which you guys might know is the last BART station. <laughs> So for now, we live in Los, near Los Angeles. We live um, in Diamond Bar, California. And so um, I tell people I'm from San Francisco. That's a confession. I'm sorry. I, I steal your guys' clout. Um, so yeah, I, I've been part of Echo Church in Fullerton for 10 years now. I'm the liturgist there, which means I just have the cool job of writing prayers and creating space for people to connect with God. And so it's awesome. So with that said, let's just pray and begin. If you want to close your eyes and open your hands, if that's helpful for you. Lord, I just sense your sweet, sweet presence here. I sense your spirit who loves each and every one of these people, your sons and your daughters, how much you love this church, God. So we come with hearts open to you. Lord, we want to know you. We want to be near you. Teach us, Lord, your ways, the manner of your kingdom. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to wake us up. Father, would we experience your invitation again today? And we humbly come before you and confess that we need you to love you. Help us love you with our minds, our bodies, and our spirits. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. Amen. Amen. So, there's a word that's been circulating. I think many of you might have heard it. Um, It's a word that has described most of us since the pandemic has lingered on a little bit longer than we wanted. Does anyone have a guess? It's the word languishing. (laughs) Languishing. That was, (laughs) yes. (laughs) So the New York Times described it as this void between depression and flourishing. And it was the dominant emotion of many of us surviving through the pandemic. So it's this feeling of stagnation and emptiness. It's as if you're muddling through your days. It was a term coined by sociologist Corey Keyes, who wanted to describe the many people who weren't depressed but also weren't thriving. So languishing is this word. It's this perpetual sense of joylessness and aimlessness, feeling restless or unsettled. And the scary thing about languishing is that you don't notice the dullness of delight or the dwindling sense of purpose. And you become indifferent. And when you can't recognize your own suffering, you're less likely to seek help. Did anyone feel this way? I know I did during the pandemic. And if we're honest, we actually might define times or seasons in our spiritual journeys closer to this term of languishing. Have you ever felt joyless and aimless in your walk with God? As if you're going through the motions but you're not sure why. You know you're doing the right things, but you can't quite put your finger on it. 
And you might see some people who are thriving and on fire and you think, what do they have that I don't? And when Jesus says that he has come to give us life, life abundant, sometimes we can wonder, is this the abundant life he was talking about? So if you've ever felt this way, and I know I have in many seasons of my life, let's turn to the scripture of the day from Matthew 5, 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So Pastor Mickey set up this series on the Beatitudes so beautifully by saying how Jesus' definition of who is blessed and the worlds are radically different. And he touched on a really important word when he kicked off the series, this Greek word that Jesus, Jesus used for the word blessed, makarios. Do you guys remember this? Makarios. So it's makarios of the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So we have a hard time translating this word into English, and the best is being blessed. But this is just half of the definition. According to theologian Jonathan T. Pennington, to be blessed suggests an outward blessing from God. It's like receiving something that is outside of ourselves from the divine creator. But makarios, as you guys remember, is also this sense of inward human flourishing. It's something that bubbles up from the inside, and it's a deep, profound resonance that only comes when we flourish as we were designed to. Now, this is the same word used in Psalm 1 when the psalmist says, Blessed, makarios, is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So makarios is a state of flourishing as we were designed to be, like a tree planted by streams of living water, like a hawk meant to soar across the, the valleys or a dolphin swimming effortlessly in the water. It's like Beyonce singing or Serena Williams on the courts. You're like, oh, that's what they were designed to do. So when Jesus is saying makarios are the poor in spirit, he is suggesting not only a blessedness that comes from creator God, but also a flourishing of our very being here and to come. So that's a present tense. So the Beatitudes are an invitation to a life of flourishing with God and in God, within us and alongside his people. Flourishing because we were made to live in the reality of the kingdom of heaven here and now. Now, doesn't that sound enrapturing? <laughs> Has there ever been a time in your life where you felt like you were flourishing, thriving in your element? Maybe you can take a moment to think about that. So we hear Jesus' invitation to a life of makarios, a life of flourishing, and our ears perk up. I want the abundant life. I want to flourish in God as I was intended to. So what is the invitation here that Jesus is saying? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Martin Lloyd-Jones explains being poor in spirit as, it is nothing, then, that we can produce. It is nothing we can do in ourselves. It is just this tremendous awareness of our utter nothingness as we come face to face with God. It is nothing you can produce. It is nothing you can do. It is an awareness of your brokenness. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> what is Jesus saying here? 
I love the NLT version of this beatitude. Kind of helps put it into perspective. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The poor in spirit are blessed, not because of their weakness or their brokenness or poverty in and of itself. I want to be clear here that God doesn't desire for his people to be poor. This is not an invitation to voluntary poverty or to assume that we shouldn't participate in breaking the systemic injustices of poverty. That's just weird. (laughs) The blessing lies in the truth that we have a God who places himself near to the poor in spirit and the broken and the needy. Over and over and over again, Jesus is reminding us how the kingdom of God works. This is the upside-down, paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God. You see those Pharisees who think that they're blessed because of their meticulous keeping of the law? They're not blessed. The kingdom of God doesn't belong to them. Instead, those who are blessed are the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, the widows, the lame, the blind, all these people who have been rejected by society, perhaps even rejected by the church, and deemed worthless and damaged and sinful. These are the people that God bestows his kingdom here and now. He blesses those who have nothing to offer and nothing to their name before God. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells this parable between a tax collector and a Pharisee. It says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, and adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. This is what Jesus says. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. These are the poor in spirit the ones who are so aware of their brokenness and their need for God. These are the ones who are blessed in the kingdom, and they are the ones who are filled by God himself. Because they are the very ones who remember that grace is not earned, it's received. So let's go back to the problem again. Why do we languish in seasons of our lives? Why do we often forfeit the joy and the flourishing that comes when we are poor in spirit? The problem is, when we hear scriptures like the Beatitudes, we translate them as a list of things to check off. Some of us might say, all right, we have our success metrics. How do we plan on executing to achieve the proper results? So the paradox, the irony, the upside-downness of the Beatitudes is, yes, these are the expectations of what Christ's followers are supposed to look like. But if we confuse them for things that we can produce on our own, we're never going to make it. We begin to languish because we take matters of our salvation, our sanctification, and formation into our own hands. In Philippians 1, it says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. 
he will continue his work. But sometimes many of us, and I do this so many times, we say to God, actually, I got it. You took care of conversion. I'll figure the rest of it out. I'll continue the work. And why do we do this? The world admires self-reliance, self-confidence, independence. The church admires self-righteousness, polished, beautiful people. And we need to come off as self-sufficient, independent, wise, and so unconsciously like the Pharisees, we take on the burden of religion rather than receive the scandal of grace over and over again. We often think that grace is only afforded to us at the start, and sanctification is our job. So we hide our weaknesses because, God forbid, our congregation see a human broken pastor or a spiritual leader God forbid our greatest fear is realized. This fear that gnaws at all of us. Am I enough? Am I strong enough? Do I belong here? God, do you really love me? Do I really deserve this? So the Pharisee in us tells us we need to be better. Do better. Overcompensate. Produce more. Lead out of excellence. You don't feel good enough? Hide it. Over- it's fine. But this is not the Macarius life that God has intended for us. And soon enough, what started out with good intentions leaves us feeling indifferent and numb, joyless and aimless. And before we know it, we have uprooted ourselves from the streams of living water and we are trying to push out the fruits of the Spirit by our own strength. And this is just an exhausting way to live, isn't it? We were not meant to live with the heavy burdens of religion. We were designed to live in step with Christ, life abundant. The poor in spirit know that they must rely on God. Their reliance on him is their blessing. So how do we step into Jesus' invitation to a life of flourishing and be poor in spirit? So remember that really heavy quote. Um, It's not something that we can produce, but perhaps it is something that we can practice. So how do we practice being poor in spirit? I have three Ps for you. One, practice. Practice dependence through confession and repentance. When was the last time you were really honest with with where you were at? Who are the safe people in your life to whom you can be open and vulnerable with? The gritty, kind of embarrassing things that you might have. The second P is place. Place yourself near the river, the streams of life. Place yourself near God. What does that look like for you? When was the last time you felt rooted? And the last P is posture, the posture of the tax collector versus the Pharisee. Do you find yourself leaning toward one way or the other? Maybe allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now. Have you tried to produce? Have you tried to perform? Or have you allowed yourself to come openly and honestly before God with all the ugly and the hard emotions? 
Have you taken matters of spirituality and faith into your own hands? So when I first entered ministry, it was like a dream come true for me. It was something I never even knew. It was a dream I never knew I could have. Um, I grew up in a, in a time where just, I don't know, the holiest thing of a Christian woman could do is like marry a pastor or something. And I was like, I don't know if I want that. <laughs> um, and I never thought I'd be able to utilize my love of writing, my curiosity of the Bible, and this beautiful love I'd found in God. And I got to partner with him in ministry alongside this church echo that I love, and it was so instrumental in my own life. So it was amazing. I landed my dream job at my dream company <laughs> in a community that I loved with pastors whom I deeply admired, doing something that felt both creative and meaningful, and yet I was dying inside. <laughs> I started in November of 2017, but less than a year went by, and every Sunday I contemplated ending my life. On the outside, I was so happy, enjoying my new life and job and calling, and yet I was withering away. It was this crazy place where I knew I was exactly where I was supposed to be, and yet I was suffering. So one Sunday after church, when all the doors had been locked and we waved goodbye to all of our members, my husband and I sat in our car in the darkening parking lot. And I didn't know if I was allowed to feel this way. I hadn't told anyone. I hadn't even told my husband, tell my husband. And I was so afraid of telling him. Because what would he think? What would our congregation think if I was still so broken? I should have been over this by now, you know? And I, th I thought the church needed a perfect leader. And so what started out as a love affair with God and, and receiving his grace turned into this performance that I was doing every Sunday. And it was literally killing me. The very thing I feared was true. I wasn't strong enough to do this. I wasn't qualified enough to do this. And with tears streaming down my face, I cried to my husband, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. Um, the reason why I actually decided to tell him was a couple days prior to my confession, a young pastor in a neighboring city actually died by suicide. And it was through this tragic news because he, he left behind his young wife and three beautiful children and a vibrant ministry. I realized I was headed in the same direction. And I also realized that even ministers of God, even God's people who seemed like they had it all together, could suffer like I was. And that night, in my depth of poverty, in a truly dark moment, I asked for help. I faced the shame of feeling utterly disqualified and insufficient, and I let my loved one into that space that felt so isolating, so dark, and so heavy. And with the support of my husband, I sought a therapist. I found a spiritual director. I invited mentors into my life. I told my pastors and was honest with my closest friends, trusted ones inside and outside of the church. And I began to build a community of healers around me. I thought poverty of spirit was something only afforded for new believers, not leaders or people as they matured in their faith. 
I should be better by now. I just kept believing this lie. How many of us have bought into this lie? But this beautiful truth that Jesus is saying about how the economy of heaven works is that it is precisely our spiritual poverty, our brokenness that God desires to come near and to bless. Being poor in spirit means being aware of our brokenness and inviting God into our everyday, our every moment, our every second, and relying on him and his people. It's realizing and living into this inconvenient truth that we were not designed to do this on our own and we were not designed to do this alone. We were made to be interdependent. We were made to be wholly dependent on God's grace. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it said, Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Our brokenness, our weakness, as deeply frustrating as they are, are the very empty places in which God desires to come near and to bless. Not just at the beginning, but throughout our whole life until Christ comes again. It's a long time. And our awareness not our hiding or overcompensating, is the beginning in which we begin to flourish because it is the very place God meets us. So it's been four years since that moment in the car, and I've, become, I've come to realize that anxiety and depression are things that I might carry for the rest of my life. And some seasons are more challenging than others. But I have found that they are not weights that I carry alone. I have found that God heals through a multitude of ways, from the touch of many hands, from the gentle presence of loved ones. I have found that his strength is made perfect in my weakness, and he is whom I lean on, to whom I confess every day, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, Lord, I need you. We were not made for religion. So if you find yourself languishing, I want to share with you Jesus' very invitation to you again today. In Matthew 11, it says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Macrina Weidecker wrote this beautiful poem. And I kind of want to use this as a prayer so if you guys can open your hands and receive it. To be poor in spirit is a joyful awareness of your emptiness. It is the soil of opportunity for God has space to work in emptiness that is owned. Being poor in spirit means knowing you are so small and dependent, needy and powerless that you live with an open heart waiting to be blessed. 
For only then can you be blessed if you know you need a blessing. I want to remind you guys today that we have a God who well acquaints himself to the needy and the dependent and the weak. Who loves us as we are, not who we should be or who we want to be. And when we remember that being aware of our emptiness and our dependence and our weakness are not things to hide or overcompensate, but rather soil for God to work, we see it as, in fact, a doorway to the kingdom of heaven. 99. The church does not need more polished, beautiful people. God doesn't want that either. Neither does your city or your family. The world, the church, the people around you need people who are dependent on God. Whose empty spaces are not hidden or covered, but filled with God himself. Are you languishing? Do you find yourself lifeless, joyless, or aimless? You are in the right place. Acknowledge and confess your need. Posture yourself before God and practice dependence. Place yourself near the streams of living water. For you are blessed because you are poor in spirit and yours is the kingdom of God. May we embrace our poverty of spirit knowing that it is the very place in us God chooses to dwell. And we have a good, good God. Let's pray. I have a feeling that some of you have a hard time asking for help. So right now, would you let the Holy Spirit give you the courage to ask for help? Maybe right now you can think of a safe person you can talk to. Maybe resources you need to reach out to. But asking for help can be the bravest thing you do today. Some of you guys need a reminder of God's grace. It is not something that we earn, but it is a gift that we receive every day, every moment. And if you're like me, some of you guys need to remember that God desires you exactly where you are as you are that you don't need to run away and polish yourself before coming back to him but he wants to meet you right here so lord i speak against the world's understanding of strength this temptation to be independent this temptation to be self-reliant 
God, we just banish that from this church. That is not a spirit that you desire. Lord, we just ask for your spirit to come with new revelation of just how deeply we are loved by you, God. And that you are near to the brokenhearted, that you are near to the weak and the needy and the dependent, God. Lord, give us eyes of the kingdom of heaven. God, we thank you. I thank you for 99 Church. That you brought every single one of these sons and daughters here. That your spirit chases after them. That you love the prodigal son. So Lord, help them. God, help us, Lord, to practice dependence. Let this place be a a safe place, God, that we could be open with our weaknesses with one another. Lord, that this church can be a place where we can come and be the people of God, real and human and messy, loving a good God who is near, a holy God who has made the way. We thank you for this time.